Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned, discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's, .co. Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today we have Andy Lyons. She's a four-time founder, startup champion, and host of the Startup Life Live Show. She's done a ton of really fascinating stuff, and she has a ton of stuff to share, really good advice. Um, John and Greg, what are you guys looking forward to uh, learning from uh, Andy today? Oh, I'm really looking forward to this episode. First, I'm interested in her advice for startups as we're involved in that area. I'm also interested in her journey. Uh, she she came from banking initially and uh, got out of that and then got into uh, the startup world and has worked in various areas. So uh, I'm really interested in her experiences and everything she's learned and what she has to share. Yeah, she right away is warming my heart with her uh, passion for startups and, and how much she she clearly contributes to the community. Um, so that's really, yeah, she's got me right there, got my attention already. But um, I, I'm really excited to see, to hear, yeah, this, her journey in the, because the range of things that she has worked on and seen uh, and, you know, the learning that she's, she's had through all of that process, it's going to be pretty cool to see. So I'm in. All right. On with the show. Andy, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've done a ton of stuff and have a ton of really good advice. But maybe before we dive into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Hey, I grew up outside of Boston and you know, throughout New England, but primarily the greater Boston area. Very cool. Boston's a rad city. It really is. Well, you talk about history, you talk about, you know, folks being willing to do what it takes to achieve dreams for hundreds of years. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Well, I have a very non-traditional background. So when I was 18, I did not go on to college, even okay. though I had been accepted. I went off and had six years of what? Real life experience, <laughs> came back. I got my, um, what we called back in the day, secretary, went to secretarial school. Okay. And I, I came out as an executive secretary and I went to go work with startup founders, you know, founders who had, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 people. I sat right outside their door. I called that my founder boot camp. I went to school at night at Northeastern here in Boston and then went and earned my MBA at the only all women's MBA program, Simmons School of Management. Interesting. So walk us through your career, maybe some highlights and some learnings along the sure. way, because your story is actually really, really fascinating and inspiring to people. Oh, yeah, especially since when I applied to grad school, they told me not once, but twice, we don't accept students with GMAT scores that low. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, look, standardized tests and I do not get along. And I had anticipated this, Kevin. And so anything in life, you, know, you have to anticipate what are going to be the chokeholds in you achieving your dreams. And so I had enrolled in three semesters and one in account in algebra, okay. <clears throat> excuse me, to 
improve my ability for critical thinking and expository writing. So I was working full time and going to school four nights a week for four hours at night and wow. then doing homework. And so I just wanted to beef up so that they knew like right now, currently, I had the capability, I had great recommendations. And so I also thought, what else are they gonna wanna need? Well, I'll enroll in the intensive statistics class. And so at Northeastern, so that's three semesters in one folks, statistics, which is not fun, at least not for this gal. And so I had a, nine, I had a 74 in my midterm when I received a note from Simmons saying, you're accepted into the grad program provided you get a B plus or better on your statistics class. And I thought, oh my gosh, how is this going to work? I needed to do statistics to see the odds of my getting a, a B plus or better. But sure enough, I hunkered down and met with the professor, got some help tutoring, and I came out of there with a 94 in the final. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, you just have to plan. You have to have contingencies. And this is how it is in life. You can't just keep your fingers crossed. You have to understand what people are going to need in order to say yes to you. Very cool. So, so your career, you've been a founder four times. So right. walk us through your startups and, and being a founder sure. and, and what you learned along the way. Because I think just remembering when I chatted with you in the past, you had a lot of people, at least with one of your, your startups, say, you really shouldn't do that. It might actually ruin your reputation. So oh, I know. That's, work in that's such a good story. I just want to take people into the fact that when I graduated my, with my MBA, I had to do some fancy footwork, but I got hired by a huge bank here in Boston. And not because I had a fit. There was no, I mean, I'm very positive around risk and most banks are risk adverse but I wanted you to do financial analysis on all types of industries. And when you go into the credit training program to be a commercial lender at a bank, they really get you to do analysis on everything. And so I say that because I left that industry with a, a nice big bang of a dramatic exit after three years of getting through that. And I often introduce myself as, hello, my name is Andy. I've been unemployable since 1992. I fell <laughs> off the wagon a few times. The first time I fired myself, the second time I got fired. And then, you know, it's all about startups. And I'm a reluctant startup. I didn't go in saying, I wanted to be a founder and an entrepreneur. These businesses fell into my lap. So in 98 with my husband, we launched a dot-com business. We okay. raised over $8 million. We were doing pre-YouTube and Facebook because we were providing entertainment content to college campuses through cable and through online. They were the only ones really able to do downloadable uh, entertainment because they were the only ones basically with a T1 back in the day. Right. You know, back then, everything was dial-up. And we had a great two-year run. Everything was going super into the fall of 2000, and that imploded. But it so we had built it up to about 100 employees, and then boom, had to scale it back down, sold it for assets and liabilities. But learned a lot from that experience, and would never ever have said, "Oh, I wish that didn't happen." And and this is what I tell founders all the time, Kevin: is that you will never lose starting a business. You may learn that, like, wow, being an entrepreneur is not for me, or you may learn I love this, 
And what happens is not every business succeeds or it has yeah. a, an outcome that's interesting, but not the scale you would want. So you need to stay flexible and know that whatever you learn, being a founder is the best personal development program out there for you. And so after that experience, 9-11 happened. And in our family, my husband happened to have taken, he took a flight from Logan to LaGuardia on 9-11 that morning, wow. right beside one of the other planes that flew into the tower. He was um, on the Triborough Bridge when it was said he was stuck in Manhattan. And we were all was like, oof, this is hard. It's a tough time for us, but happily, you know, he got through it okay. And again, I was applying to jobs and thinking I was gonna go back into the workforce and everything came to a screeching halt. And Martha Stewart said, go back in the kitchen and cook. And so I came up with a recipe for a wheat-free granola. And okay. uh, you know, a good friend of mine, people could not stop eating it. I was just sharing it with people because you know, what else are we gonna do at that time? And we were, I, I was raising two babies. And a friend of mine said, oh, you need to launch this. And I said, oh, hell no. Yeah, this is really hard. I just came off at .com, yeah, lost all our money, 8 million in venture capital money. This is, you know, entrepreneurship is like no way. And she said, no, this really has legs. I think you could make it, something with this. And I said, okay, if I find a licensed bakery in my first phone call, I'll do it. Thinking no way was that going to happen. So I called a local uh, caterer and said, hey, do you have a licensed kitchen I could use to test out a recipe? And he said, no, but I just got off the phone with Steve Jacobs, who owns Boston Tea Cakes, and he's looking to lease his bakery commercial kitchen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> it really took off. It was amazing. So many miracles happened. I scaled nationally in less than two years, and I didn't go on shelves except for specialty food stores. I focused on supplier diversity programs. I'm a, as a woman, I was considered a minority-owned business. And so I was able to get into a lot of the food service companies, which put me on campus and on corporate and in hospitals. And it was just amazing. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute would buy my granola and give it away free to their chemo patients because it was one of the things that they could tolerate. The taste was so good and packed with carbs and protein. So it was a great, great run. It was five years. I had great angel investors. And uh, what happened right towards the end of that wonderful business was my uh, two of my primary ingredients, Kevin, were hit agriculturally. And these oh. are the things that nobody, I never hear anybody talk about this, right? You know, if there's been a fire or a flood, these are, you know, Mother Nature can wipe a business out. There's so many things that we don't talk about that can take a business down. And in my case, almonds and maple syrup got just hit so hard. And I thought, well, I'm about to raise a quarter million to go what I call the Kellogg's route in manufacturing. And so I figured I could just overcome that with volume. So I was really ready to scale. And then my current manufacturing facility got hit by a lightning storm and burned to the ground. Oh, wow. And then like two days later, my husband got laid off and there we are with a seven and a nine-year-old. And there's you know a certain point where you have to say, I think this is done and it's very painful. And that's why I always like to recommend folks read Seth Godin's book, The Dip, because he talks about how as entrepreneurs, you really need to know what is when are you going to quit doing this? And that quitting is absolutely okay. As long as you know ahead of time, what are the 
ingredients? What is, what is the landscape going to look at when I say, okay, enough is enough? And so that was a very valuable lesson. I cried for three months after that, company going down. And then the one you're talking about came to me uh, and it was called Bring Back Desire. And as a woman in a long-term relationship with my darling man, with children at home, I knew that one of the biggest challenges for heterosexual couples was to stay tuned in and turned right. on year after year after year. And so I came up with this great playful and tasteful platform called Bring Back Desire. <laughs> and, you know, I, one of my favorite stories was I used a local pitch event here in Boston. It was every, every year I used that um, as a way to sort of give myself a deadline to come up with the business plan. Okay. And so now we're talking 2008, 2009, and I entered the, the competition just to have that as a, Andy, figure this out and get that business plan done and submitted so that I could really start pulling together the business model. And I get a, an email and they said, you're in the, the semifinals. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I emailed the folks back. I go, listen, I'm going to be talking about sex, orgasms, and all of this other stuff that's 21 plus. You don't want me at a pitch event. And I was seasoned at pitching, you know, from my other businesses. And they're like, no, we love this idea. And we're going to give you this fabulous mentor from Golden Angels, which is this great angel investment group that invests in female founders. And we're going to give you a mentor who heads up Suffolk University's MBA entrepreneurship program. And they love it. So I was thinking, oh, this is wonderful. So I go down to, to the night of the pitch event. And I started introducing myself and I'd really not been out in public yet talking about bring back desire. And I'm here in Boston, which is so puritanical. And I was in Back Bay in the old in an old Victorian building for this picture <laughs> thing. And people were looking at me like, say what? Bring what? What are you talking about? And so I was thinking, oh no, I like I'd never practiced this out with people. <laughs> And it was just, <laughs> you know, mentors and my friends and family. And, you know, to, to get back to what you had said earlier, when I was talking about this among women of my age, they said, oh, no, 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 you can't be doing this. It'll be a career ender. But I felt so called to do it. And so now I get up to pitch at this event. I'm the last one to go. I've got, you know, an electric vehicle battery person. I've got, you know, really bona fide startups before me. And they get so many questions during the Q&A. And then I get out there, up there, and I do, I had a great opening. And you have to understand the people in the audience were top VCs in Boston, top in the health industry, top angels, attorneys, you know, really an incredible group of high level people in my city. <laughs> and when I was done with my pitch, you could hear crickets. And I thought to myself, you know what? You should have left. You should have just gotten out before you did this. This is awful. This is horrific. This was a mistake. And I put it on the shelf for two years. Wow. But in 2010, you know, now New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Oprah, they're all talking about desire and women and relationships and staying together. Excuse me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and launch this. And it was you know, a fascinating experience, I have to tell you. And I, a part of me wondered if I should have had a uh, fake name, a nom de pleur, whatever that's called, right? 
But no, right, I yeah. said, I need to be the, the woman and mom next door talking about this. And I'm telling you, I laughed for three and a half, four years. It was so much fun. It was tongue and cheek. I learned how to brand myself as my professional self and then do the Bring Back Desire brand. And I launched it in, in early 2011. So I really learned a lot about online marketing, digital marketing, branding in this new digital age. I started my first podcast in 2012 called After Dark Radio. And <laughs> I've had you know three others since then. But you know, I really learned I had a great thriving YouTube channel. I'd have expert panels talking about sex and relationships. I'm telling you, it was a really fun time. And it was about the end of 2014, uh, early 2015. And I was looking around and I was so tired of seeing such awful information being put out there for founders online at the time. Nobody was talking about value proposition and customer acquisition and LTV CAC ratios and all the things that are so important when you're launching a business. They were all talking about digital marketing and, and your next meme and and I said, okay, I feel really complete. I feel like I've helped couples around the world with Bring Back Desire. I think I'm going to go back into the world of business. I'm going to go into this lane, the startup founder lane. And that's when I became a mentor at a lot of the local accelerators here, Mass Challenge, E4All, MIT, et cetera. And I started building up a coaching practice for startup founders. So you know, and along the way, by the way, folks, I also you know, did other consulting and other smaller businesses, but you know, these are my four primary business models. And wow, what a journey. Interesting. The, the <laughs> thing that I find fascinating about you and your story is you've done so many different things that are almost like 180s from each other. Sure, they have the core, like, well, you're running a business, but they're in totally different verticals. And it's interesting because a lot of people always give you the advice that if, if you don't know the industry, don't build a startup in it. But I think you're a success story of somebody that didn't know that industry, but still went for it, got into it, and was successful in that. Do you agree with that? Oh, uh, listen, I, absolutely. Because I coach people that angels and, and VCs really want to see a strong founder market fit. And I never had a strong market founder market fit. I knew nothing you know, about dot-coms in 1998 or the college market. I knew nothing about food, shelf life, all the craziness around that. And certainly launching a 21 plus website that was tasteful and playful, say what? Uh, but by the time I got to you know, startup coaching, now I could say, yeah, now I've got a strong founder market fit, but there are transferable skills. So if you're feeling really called to launch a business and you may not have a lot of experience in that particular industry, don't worry about it because you can transfer skills. You're going to learn a lot along the way. And the most important quality in any founder is that you are a deep problem solver. You are passionate about solving problems and you will not sleep until you solve that problem. You will find every pathway, pull in every thread to find a way to make something work out. And I think that's the most important transferable skill as a founder. Interesting. I, I think that's actually really good advice. So I'm curious, you had to learn stuff along the way are you more of a trial and error? Were you reading books? Were you asking people? How did you actually learn some of these things that you didn't know? 
Well, first of all, I've been following Seth Godin since 98. So he's really uh, one of my folks that I read everything that he puts out because he is the, at the end of the day, traction is the most important thing for your business. So marketing is the most important thing for your business and nobody knows marketing better than Seth Godin. Also, you know, going to events and following people, it's, it's the most wonderful thing about online. You can learn anything. There's a YouTube video for that. There's a podcast for that. But I do have favorite books. Um, you know, behind me here, you know, great books that I've used over the years. One of my favorites is um, The Road Less Stupid. And that's okay. by Keith Cunningham. And I have to tell you, it is one of the best nuts and bolts books out there. But again, there is experimentation. Every founder has to be ready to learn and experiment and be really okay with the fact that just like in chemistry or when you're cooking, some things are going to explode or not taste good. <laughs> and so it's great if you can get a coach, if you can get somebody who's seasoned, if you can get mentors on your team that are going to help you that are industry specific, that'll really help you along the way. Those are also important. And that's what I've done over the years. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. So you mentioned earlier, obviously, when you know your facility burns down that you've been using and you decided to shut down these businesses, how have you picked yourself back up and, and tried to go for it again? And what advice do you give to people? Because I think that can be really, really challenging and also kind of soul destroying a bit, right? So how did you rebuild? That's right. What advice do you give for people to rebuild? Well, you know, first of all, I'm like a flotation device. So you know, I've had some things that have set me back big time, but I've never quit. And so, and I've never settled. So I encourage everybody, no matter what they're doing in life, keep going toward your dreams, whatever that looks like. And as they change, keep doing it. And then remember that within every crisis, every big piece of adversity that you're crawling through, there is always a golden seed of opportunity. You just need to look around and say, hmm, and pull yourself out from being personally entrenched and become an observer. That is the best way to pull yourself back out and recover if you've got a failed startup which, by the way, many people have failed startups. <laughs> it's just, sure. It's, you know, there's just one story after another. We don't focus enough on that. I always remind people about one of the PayPal co-founders. You know, his first three businesses failed miserably. His fourth business failed, but not as miserably. And then his fifth business was PayPal. So, you know, it's what are you looking for inside of you? What is it that helps you feel fully expressed in the world? And that's what you're not giving up on. Sometimes, you know, we learn from each of our businesses so that we take all that great information and we put it toward our next business. Or if you learned that, wow, I feel much happier as an employee, wonderful. You're going to take what you learned from your founder experience, that tenacity, that resilience, deep problem solving skill set. And you're going to take it to a company that's going to love having you on their team makes that's really good advice so you host the startup life live show walk us through the types of stuff that you cover and who do you interview on uh, that show sure um i launched it in april of 2020 kevin because i was a co-host 
of a popular monthly pitch event here in Boston called Founders Live. Okay. And in, in February of 2020, it became, we had our last pitch event at the end of the month and it became very clear in March, 2020 that everything was getting shut down in Boston. We got shut down like New York City very early in the pandemic. And so I said to my co-host, AJ, let's take this online. And I have been doing live streaming since 2013. And I knew about the StreamYard platform. I, as I tell people, I have shoes older than these two founders. And they had done a tremendous job of creating a very stable platform for live streaming to the social, all the social platforms. And that was very appealing. And AJ and I had our March pitch event, five founders pitching, and it went phenomenal. And so in April, I said, I've got to stay connected with people. I'm going to launch this live event. And I started interviewing people in the evening for the first 10 weeks. And then George Floyd was murdered. And I was part of a group where I was the one of four whites in a group of 76. And I got a deeper understanding of what our diverse founders, our BIPOC founders go through, our LGBTQ plus founders go through. And so in August of 2020, I became committed to amplifying only diverse founders female, wow. BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and other abled. And I've been going live every every week, twice a week, on Tuesdays and Fridays at 12 p.m. EST, and interviewing founders who are in the trenches, maybe founders, occasionally I have a luminary founder who's cashed out. Um, I'll bring in all types of tech founders or a food founder or retail, e-commerce, bringing them all in so that we have representation because if you can see it, you can be it. And it's an hour long conversation around the business model. Occasionally I'll bring in experts who are gonna share, you know, how are you gonna create those financial models? How are you gonna use CRO or SEO to build your business? Definitely bring in investors. I have some angels come in or VCs come in and share you know, what they're looking for and what founders need to know. But mostly it's a discussion of what we call the business map. Understanding what's your value prop, have you, how did you pivot along the way after you launched? What did your customers teach you? How are you doing customer acquisition? Have you raised money? What was that like for you, um, et cetera? And as well as talking about the business and hearing these phenomenal startup stories. You know, we get started and I find out, oh, I was incarcerated for four years. Yeah, and I turned things around or I was on a bus and leaving Kuwait during the Gulf War and we thought we were gonna get blown up any minute we were all singing or it just goes on from one story and I had no idea about these founders when I got them on for the interview. And so that's amazing. And then because it's live, Kevin, I get comments from the press on LinkedIn, right. Facebook, YouTube, and that adds magic and spontaneity to the conversation. And for me personally, Knowing that it's not edited, I have when I hit that live button, this is it. That's very exciting, and I, it helps me bring, um, you know, a real full experience and a real present experience to the show. So, it's been almost two years. I've had um, I think I'm doing my 135th show tomorrow. I think it is. Congrats! So, it's been great, and I just got word that I am number ten in the best podcasts for startups. And I'm talking Masters of Scale is number one. Guy Raz is number five with how I built the how we how I built this. And there's me, number 10. That's amazing. <laughs> I, Congrats on that. Thank That's you. Great. I don't have a team. I'm I'm looking forward to having more people join me as I get sponsors. But 
right now, it's all about impact. It's how can I help founders around the world you know, find the solutions and inspiration they need to keep going so they don't feel alone, isolated, and can be celebrated. No, I, I think that's that's awesome. So I'm curious, what have you learned in your personal life that you've been able to bring back into your business life, your your businesses, and your coaching? Wow. Well, I've had a lot of adversity. I've had a lot of situations where I should have just hung up and just lied down and said enough. And, you know, these personal experiences, as I tell people, my husband and I, you know, we've lost businesses, we've lost babies, we've lost all our money and all our hormones, but we never lost each other. And so what I bring to my businesses is a level of enthusiasm for the journey, for the excitement of what I'm going to learn along the way. When I make a, when something goes to hell in a handbasket, let's say, for example, in the live show, I go, oh, great, that's out of the way now. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I lighten, I'm, I don't worry about it being perfect. I see it more as an unfolding and a learning along the way. And so for me, it's, I'm just so happy to be, see, be seen in my joyful purpose. And, you know, life's experiences, it's those lived experiences, as Arlen Hamilton says in her phenomenal book, It's About Damn Time, that our lived experiences can inform how we move forward. And so it's, you know, it's been a two-way street. Entrepreneurship has served me both professionally and personally. And of course, my lived experience, I mean, who says, who keeps trying to get her MBA when they tell her not once, but twice, we don't accept GMAT scores as low as yours, you know? You just can't let people tell you no. Find another way to yes. And I know that sounds very cliche, but it's true. No, I, I think that's good advice. And I think you, people need to take that for what you really truly mean by that, right? Because, as so, and that's what I love about your story so much is you've been through this adversity. You're still a very positive person and you've almost used that like no or kind of those events to like make you stronger and push you to keep going and, and, and motivation to keep going and, and just forgetting what people say whether they're right, wrong, or other, it doesn't really matter. You're just using it to push yourself forward. Exactly. And really understanding what a successful outcome looks for you. It could be how you feel, right? And, right. and not getting caught up and letting others define what success looks like for you. So in my world, I say to founders, look, if you're feeding your family, that's huge. Yeah. What You're employing people in your community? Wow. And you're doing global domination. That's great too. I mean, there's so much emphasis about unicorns. It's like, oh, what's wrong with a million dollars in a year in revenue and paying some people, right? And feeding your family and creating a legacy for your children. Nothing wrong with that. 50 million, 500 million. It doesn't have to be the unicorn. You don't have to have an IPO. You can have a successful outcome, but know what that looks like for you at this point in time, because as you evolve and get better and get to another level as a founder, things that were scary earlier are no longer scary and you're ready to take on more. And then you can set again, what does success look like for me at this point in time? Sure. I, I think that's actually really good advice. So is there anything from like art or music or anything else that you draw inspiration and motivation from? I know it's kind of similar to the personal question, but do you find, how do you get inspiration? Oh, 
listening to people. So sometimes I'll, I'll go and grab some wonderful thoughts from Mel Robbins, for example. Okay. But also I've got music. I've got my Showtime music that I play to you know, just get me jazzed up. I definitely have my guitar riff music. I need to do that on TikTok. I you know, <laughs> just start showing, doing some TikTok uh, videos on me doing air guitar with guitar riffs. I love rock music. And uh, so you know, that's where I get inspiration and moving the body and dancing and stories and following folks who are there to inspire. So another one of my favorites for female, for women, it would be Glennon Doyle. And okay. um, so, you know, there's just specific people out there who are really bringing great information in. Just looking at my bookshelf behind me. Um, but so there's, there's just turning to folks who can help me with my thoughts, because at the end of the day, what you tell yourself is so important and we all live with our inner critic so if you can high five yourself in the mirror if you can acknowledge that the inner critic has a voice and say yep i hear you kevin what i'd like to tell people is when you've got that shadow side of yourself that's telling you all that terrible <laughs> why you should not be doing this and hashtag why bother you need to say i hear you and just like baking soda goes into a delicious chocolate cake you need to blend those negative thoughts into your batter, your cake batter, so that you can bake it up and have a great outcome because that those voices will get louder if you don't look at them. They will annoy you and that inner critic voice will almost be harmful to your ability to move forward if you don't hear it and then say, don't worry, I've got this and just sort of hold hands with it and keep going. Do you have any advice or things that people can try to get rid of or at least deal with that negativity? Because it can be really hard to shut that down inside your head sometimes. Absolutely. First of all, you got to be gentle with yourself. You're human. You are going to have moments where you're going to be filled with founder doubt. A really important thing to do is make sure that you are with peers because your family cannot understand, your loved ones cannot understand what you're going through. And when you were hanging out with other founders, it's amazing how much better you will feel. And as far as that inner critic, you got to love that side of yourself and say, thank you for sharing. Kick those thoughts off the bus, put them down you know, into the trash <laughs> and replace them with more affirming thoughts, even if it's just gratitude, you know, just keep replacing them and get control over that part of your brain as best you can. This is all a journey and you build those muscles, especially the mindset muscles. No, that makes, makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on, it, it seems like even people that have been through it time and time again and have had failure, some success, they still worry about the same things, sometimes different things, but it's not like you get to a point maybe unless you're like extremely wealthy, you don't have to, you still worry about some of the same things you did with your first business that you did with your, you know, 10th business. What are your thoughts around that? And how do you kind of deal with that and, and kind of just accept that there's always going to be something that you need to deal with no matter how 
early on or how further far in your career you really are? Yeah, there's, <laughs> you will always have founder doubt and feelings of inadequacy. And there's a great TED talk from a bajillionaire out of Australia okay. who talks about this and I can get you the link for it. Sure. And he also shares not only his story of continuing, you know, founder doubt, but of a three times cashed out entrepreneur who like on his fourth business is still going, I don't know, will this work? Oh my gosh. And those of you as parents, you know, each child comes with a whole different set of soul requirements for parenting. <laughs> and it's the same thing with a business. So you're going to have to tap into other skill sets. You can't just say what I did for the first kid, I'm going to do for the second and the third. That never works. It's the same thing with the with a business. You're going to need to bring together a different team. You're going to have to have different mentors. You're going to have to find different ways. And you're still going to sit there and go, wow. But at the same time, it's those transferable skills. And those with founderhood, those are the skills of the muscles you've built to manage the high level of uncertainty and to bring tenacity and persistence and most importantly, resilience to your journey. But it's a nail biter, everybody. But you, that's what you have, to, as I'm always saying, one minute you're popping the champagne, the next minute you're crying into it. And, uh, and founders often, I don't care how many times you've been in business or have had different businesses, founders sleep like babies through the night. They always wake up every few hours crying. <laughs> sure. No, I 100% I agree. So <laughs> what other advice do you give to founders that maybe you wish they would do more of or, or less of? Because you must see that all the time when you're talking to them and, and working with them. Absolutely. Of course, delegate. Uh, yeah. If you, you know, and, and really see this as investing. Okay. So it's not an expense. It's an investment. Get someone to do what you don't want like doing. Get team members on as soon as you can and get traction. There's, I, I swear, there's nothing changed between 1998 and today with this raising capital business. Everybody's about the raise. No, it's about traction. You want a profitable and sustainable business? Get the customers on board. Really understand your numbers really understand what the LTV CAC ratio is and why that's so important to understand as a marketing return of investment and really understand what does it take for your business to grow and, and be profitable and sustainable. It's not easy and a lot of times founders can easily get distracted, but most importantly, have someone either be part of a founder group or have a mentor who you can bounce ideas off of because you often have the answer inside of you, but until you're able to talk it, really talk it out with someone who's really listening and you trust and who has a background in your category, your industry, yeah, that stuff cannot bubble up on your own. Working isolated will not work for you as a founder. No, I, I think that's really good advice. Do you have advice for people on how to get traction? Because it can be really challenging. Absolutely challenging. My guest coming on Friday, her she's all about conversion rate optimization. You know, that is when you go diving deep into not just who your ideal customer is, but the language that they're going to need to hear and the user experience they're going to need to have in order for you to turn them into a customer and retain them. And this is really hard. 
And if this is not something you're good at, hire somebody or get, you know, listen to shows like mine or who's ever sharing this information out there in the world. See what you can do to bring on the tools and the support that you need. And getting that customer traction is being willing to go out to the world, not family and friends, but the strangers and say, what do you think? Give me your feedback and then be willing to go, wow, and listen. For example, the founders of StreamYard, since they launched live in November of 2019, they have every single Sunday night had a town hall, okay? okay. 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, they're there talking to their users. Here are updates. What are the problems you're running into? What would you like to see on the platform? Talking to your customers. It's brilliant. And they have, they just had like episode 161. They have not missed a Sunday. Wow. And so to me, it's just constantly talking to your customers, getting that feedback and being willing to be flexible. Don't hold on to what you think the customer needs. Let the customer tell you what they need and deliver it to them. And focus on always selling the problem, right. not your fancy schmancy solution. No, I, I think that's really good advice. But how do you balance what a customer tells you compared to your roadmap? Should they be one and the same? And then, because sometimes customers will say, if you add X feature or X features, I'll sign up, but you can end up chasing your tail by constantly building for potential customers, not your real customers. Do you know what I'm getting at? Oh, that's such a great question, Kevin. It's so important. I mean, you do need to lead your customers, right? I mean, you know what you're capable of doing and providing. So I'll, I'll go back to StreamYard again. People wanted all these features and they would say, thank you and put that in their list. But here's what we're going to put out this next 60 days. Right. And so, and taking that, and that's why understanding customer segmentation. So going deep initially into a really finely defined customer niche. So you're busy making that group happy, figuring out all the problems and challenges of features that you're bringing, and then being able to, once you've nailed it for that tiny sliver, which we call the launchable addressable market, then you can go into your serviceable addressable market and that means reaching out to people and then don't make the mistake of diversifying you know piggyback off what you have as you bring in new products and services don't try to go off into a whole nother tangent that's also really important <laughs> but sure. we go over all of this on the startup life live show because those are the questions we have and conversations and and uh the founders on the show share you know what they learned and sometimes the pivot is like <laughs> real spin of the car but most often it's how you combine and blend in how you're going to serve and, and do those problems and at the same time be able to have a monthly overhead that you can manage and not get too, spread too thin no i i think that's really good advice we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show so is there anything else that you want to mention to our listeners today? Uh, I just want to say, you know, keep growing, keep learning, keep upping your founder game and find out other skill sets that you need, even if it means learning how to acquire team members or outsource folks. 
that can help you. I'm a huge fan. I use Upwork and okay. I go on there and I find out who cares the most about their rating, A, <laughs> meaning if they've got a 97 plus success rating and they've got over a thousand jobs already in Upwork, I know there's somebody who are gonna, who's gonna make me happy and, uh, and see what their reviews are and find those people to help you. No, I, I think that's really good advice. So how about we close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, your show, and any other links you want to mention? Absolutely. You can find me at andylyons.com, A-N-D-E-L-Y-O-N-S. Please follow me everywhere I glow on social media. I'm at Andy Lyons on Twitter and IG and LinkedIn and YouTube. I'd love if you're called to subscribe to my channel because I'm about 30 subscribers away from reaching that magical 1K number on YouTube. And you could do so much more on YouTube when you reach that number. Um, but there's so much great advice and resources that I give out on the show. And you can receive an alert whenever I post a new show by going on to meetup.com backslash startup life live. And that's where you'll receive an alert. It's our meetup group. And it's a great way for me to stay in touch with folks along the way. Perfect, Andy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to everyone for tuning in and for this opportunity to share my path with everyone. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Well, John and Greg, what did you guys think? Well, that was a great interview. It was a, it was a great energetic interview. I loved it. Um, one thing that comes to mind definitely is I, I loved her resilience and her fearlessness. Uh, I just, that's, that's what I thought of. I loved her story about her uh, taking the MBA and getting told that she couldn't get in and just, she didn't give up on that as well as her, her various startup journeys. Um, I just found it inspirational. Yeah, she's so, she has such positive energy just exuding from her it's really i found her just uplifting to listen to just out of the gate but but she had great things to say too and i i actually love the you know one of the the people that that she finds inspiring too is uh seth godin who um you know, i could really relate to that too for for his book uh permission marketing which was quite a few years back for me was really inspirational when when um building mail out the email newsletter business that we did um so that that really resonated with me for sure and actually it was it's just really encouraging to to hear when like you know people like she ran into some some obviously she didn't get into all of her hardships but like she went through some pretty hard stuff and and continuing through that and and sharing with others to uh inspire others to to carry on too I, I think that's fantastic. So, yeah, great interview. That was fun. Yeah, no, I I love that that story too, right? And it's like, well, when you go through that much hardship and you keep going and you keep building other businesses and you keep like that to me is just inspiring in itself, right? Because you look back mm -hmm. at some of the times where it's been like dark on your side and you're like, well, no building burnt down and just ruin my business or like mother nature yeah. doesn't really, you know, you're just like, wow, yeah. okay. You know, yeah. that's quite different. Well, and she didn't even really kind of dive into that much too. Some of the, I'm sure just even being a woman uh, and going through the MBA, like I, I, I would love to actually have uh, 
jumped in somehow on that conversation a little bit of uh, what was that like going from being an executive assistant to being the executive? Because that's a that yeah. whole thing is pretty. That's a big deal right there, and I think it's awesome. So yeah, I love it. She's very cool. She's she's pretty great. Thank you for tuning in to the Learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app, or want to get in touch, please visit Learner with two L's at www.learner.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.